Welcome back to the podcast. My guest this week is Michael Piacente from Hitch Partners. Michael, how are you? I'm very well. Given the circumstances, uh, things are good. Tell me a little bit about Hitch Partners. What is Hitch Partners? What do you guys do? So we are a, uh, consider us more of a boutique executive search firm. We do uh, routine search projects primarily at the uh, CISO and CSO level, um, even a little bit more granular than that. Um, particularly with companies with heavy engineering and product uh, orientations in the cloud. So those companies that are looking for their first kind of security engineering or compliance or information security leader uh, would typically contact us to help them with their search and uh, advisory around that search. Um, so you work for the companies? We do. Uh, we're hired by the companies, retained by the companies, and spend uh, a lot of effort uh, in discovery with them, as well as with uh, developing relationships with candidates in the space, in the community. Okay, so let me, let, me, let me start where at the very beginning. Do we have a cybersecurity skills shortage? Because there's a lot of debate in the industry about whether there's actually a skills shortage or whether we just don't know how to hire. Uh, yeah, I actually think the answer is both. Uh, we do have a shortage and uh, we have a deficiency or an inefficiency in our ability to hire in my particular area on the leadership side, although we do kind of a layer down service as well. Well, but that's what I was going to ask you. You're not only looking for CISOs and security directors, but you do, when you say layer down, help me understand what that layer is. Sure. Uh, when a new CISO is coming into an organization, typically that individual will want to build out um, the constructs of an initial team. And uh, we have that request quite a bit. Um, and so we've uh, built out a, a group that does individual contributors, kind of architecture and senior engineer level, as well as all the way up to the manager and director level. And then uh, I'm kind of more focused on the uh, the CISO space as well. Where where are you seeing the skills shortage? Because there's there's this disagreement about whether it's the skills shortage is really an entry level folks, and that's where we're not hiring or we're not targeting properly. What are you seeing? Yeah, I, I think the. Probably the best place for me to to take that would be at the leadership level, which we definitely see a, a significant shortage. Now, the shortage is interesting because I think a lot of companies are kind of trying to put all of the packaged um, experiences into one individual candidate. You know, my saying is there's a difference between what clients want, what they need, and what they're probably going to get in this particular space. It's a very fractured market. Uh, you have candidates that are coming from primarily three or four trajectories in their backgrounds and uh, we can cover that but it's 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 really a kind of combination of not many leaders have gotten to the point where they can say that they're true hybrids across all these areas and the fact that uh, I think the companies are for the most part have been fairly inefficient in the way that they're they're sourcing or going about the hiring and so we, we can break that down uh, further if you'd like help me understand why there's such a you know shortage of available CISOs at the top end yeah, so I, I think the answer to that, um, the short answer to the first question is that, that there is a um, real deficiency in moving kind of up-and-comer senior ICs into the next level of management, being, having them exposed to uh, communication level uh, decisions, uh, being exposed to the, across the organization. Uh, it's a big problem. Um, we, we see this when uh, we, we have a process, we call it interviewing the interviewers for every one of our searches. We will um, go on site for a few days to a week and interview all of the executives that are involved in the interview process for our searches. And it's just a great way to get to know the client, but also we get to see what their security IQ is. And we also get to see who is uh, where their strengths are in interviewing or weaknesses are in interviewing. Uh, frankly, uh, and often we see these uh, amazing uh, superheroes at the 
sort of individual contributor layer uh, that are being thrown into this uh, this interview process. Uh, they're pretty rigid. You know, they, they haven't really been asked uh, about questions across across functionally. And uh, we end up spending a good amount of time uh, kind of doing some interview work with them, interviewing prep with them, just to make sure they're getting the most out of those interviews that they're about to have. And so we do see that. Uh, I think just having further exposure for these individuals that are really the next generation uh, of, of CISO leaders is, is pretty critical. Uh, I think the part that I would love to focus on more is is the piece where I think companies are really trying to bundle in a lot into one profile. And um, what is dig, dig, yeah. dig a little deeper into that because sure. that I think is where the crux of the issue is. One and two, are you finding that you're counseling clients to that you're not quite ready for a CISO yet? Uh, they might think they need a CISO, and a lot of times your the organization is not quite mature for that. Is that a reality? Absolutely. In fact, some statistical evidence here. We'll probably present to even right now with with coronavirus and full bloom and, and the economy a little bit shaky, we're still presenting to, you know, eight to 10 clients uh, a, a month um, on presentations, pitches is what we call them. And of those, I'd say at least six or seven of them uh, are really not ready for their CISO. Um, they think they are, and they come to us with that request. But after we really dig under the, the hood a little bit to realize um, that this may be the first senior security hire they they really are looking for perhaps maybe more of a compliance and uh, customer enablement type of individual or they're looking for the first time to split this process or split this uh, engineering and security into its own groups or taking engineer or taking security out of engineering for the most part whatever the situation is um, their posture is really not ready for a security program to be built as a CISO would build it and so we often recommend that they they look for an interim step a, a manager or what we might call a head of security that might grow may or may not grow perhaps with the right mentorship into a CISO position. Um, so we're doing that 70% of the time. Because if you think about the business, um, you know, we're trying to de-risk the situation for our client. If they come to us with the request and say, we, we want a CISO and we go and take that opportunity on, if the narrative, if the program, if the budget, if the leveling are all not there, uh, it becomes a failed search even before it lifts off. And obviously, that's our reputation as well as the clients. But we really try to de-risk the situation and say, you know, there's, a, there's another way to solve this. Uh, you're, you're not quite ready for individual. Um, and that person, if you bring in the wrong person uh, that, that, that might come into an environment that's not yet ready built, uh, it's very easily for, easy for that person to get recruited out fairly quickly. Uh, this is a highly, highly competitive market. It's only getting more competitive. And so we're just really doing what we can to make sure that these clients are making valued decisions. Uh, it, it sounds kind of counteractive or counterproductive to, uh, to our own business, but it is the, it's always the right thing to do. If you think about uh, being called for uh, an opportunity as a CISO, so many CISOs we talk to or even heads of security, they will contact us and say, you know, I was called about this company and the recruiter, you know, said this, that or the other. Uh, they asked to, to interview. They didn't really have any preparation for me. There was a lot of answers. And I went in and essentially went into consulting mode during my interview and started asking a ton of questions. Uh, and the client came out loving me and wanting me to bring bring me back into second round interviews. And essentially what we're seeing there is that the position hadn't been flushed out, the, the leveling hadn't been flushed out, and, and they're essentially helping the client determine what that hire should look like. 
um, when really that's, in my opinion, that's the executive search's uh, responsibility, which is why we take so much time to do it. The natural progression is that when you get up to a senior engineering or a senior director position, the next level up is CISO. What is that gap between getting yourself prepared for that leadership position? Yeah, I, I think what we see the most is being put into situations, communication situations or problem solving situations that the, the individual uh, will be focused more on tactical implementation and procedure at that sort of high end individual contributor or even manager. Even they're managing a few individuals, if they haven't really been exposed to the CISO, CISO level uh, problem set, that's really where we see the gap. So you have ICs that are amazing uh, at implementation and process and sort of the tactical uh, to do um, and really solving the problem that's in front of them versus a CISO that's really able to look around the corner and anticipate this is a problem now and this is how we're going to hear a couple of different ways that we would solve this. But I'm also going to be able to look around the corner and anticipate or this is a, a smaller um, problem for, for a larger problem that's about to come. And this is really where the breakdown is and then put a process in place or really present a process, uh, you know, a solution to the overall company to do that in a communication style that is very cross-functional, that's very focused on uh, attracting the different audiences that will need to be, that will need to have buy-in. One thing you have to remember that CISO is really an influencer position. It's very different and very unique than most other uh, individuals and, and executives and technical executives in the organization. They have to get buy-in from everyone in the organization. And the way you go about getting that buy-in is very varies uh, depending on your audience, depending on the size of the company, the vertical, um, you know, what you can and cannot say, compliance standards. There's a lot of variances in how you can go about it. And so um, th that's why I always think that CISOs who really have mastered that communication style, they're, they're truly the superheroes. They can talk to any level of audience and, and really influence them through means of data. Using They use a lot of data um, and a lot of uh, examples of this, of what this will look like, uh, sometimes building tools to show them, show the, uh, the constituents that this is why we need this. And I think that's really that that's probably the biggest gap that we see. You know, when we have a, a CISO candidate uh, interviewing uh, that's not yet a sitting CISO, not yet in the position, doesn't yet have the title, usually the feedback that comes back from that individual candidate will be things like, um, you know, we asked them about a, a problem and they, they solved it with a specific implementation or a specific tool. Whereas we asked this other individual and we asked her what uh, to go through. And this is a sitting CISO now. And they were able to kind of break it down, look at, look at it holistically and put together a solution that was, uh, that was really more of a, a, a really a cross-functional uh, solution that everyone could understand. Not, and, and it also included the implementation, but it was more than that. Are you finding in the course of your sourcing that the CISO gig is not necessarily the pinnacle of someone's career and a lot of folks are just not interested? No. A lot of talented folks who you think that might be great CISOs just based on their trajectory, based on the work they do, based on some leadership things that you've seen. I'm running into that in my circles where guys are saying, eh, not interested. Well, I, I think there is a CISO atrophy <laughs> that we see. If you've done the position two or three times, you're probably looking at something different. You're looking at becoming your own entrepreneur and, and building out a product idea that you've had uh, over the course of just evidence that you've saw how things could have been better and building right, but out that. Right, that's for serial CISOs. That's, exactly. Those are the guys who have done the, the, you know, they've done the rounds a couple of times and they've seen, you know, that. I'm talking about new CISOs, guys who in my mind would make a great CISO. And when I approach and say, hey, are you thinking about this as a career trajectory? And they say, eh, not interested at all. Is, are you running into that at all? 
Not so much. Yeah, not so much. I, I still think that um, that the CISO, very much like the CIO of 10 years ago, was sort of the pinnacle of what they wanted to get to. Now, the definition of that CISO, I think, is really, if you get into the details of that, I think that the definition of what they think a CISO is may have a variance. So they want to be, uh, they, I don't think that, I think that what I do see is that candidates are not interested in just being part of an infosec or compliance-based CISO. They want to see more. They want to be influential over the product, even down to the feature level. You know, if we go this direction with architecture, um, this is what the risk is. My job is to de-risk the company's future. And we want to be, we want to be an impactful voice in that. And, and a lot of companies are not yet high, are, they're not yet uh, looking for that. They're not like looking for this role to be that, that individual. And, um, and I think that's where we see when we explain, uh, sometimes that, that, that this is what the position is today. Um, those who are not interested are usually looking for more uh, output from the actual position itself, the leveling of the position. Let's talk about CISO tenure, time the uh, typical CISO on average spends on the job. Your numbers are a little more skewed than others I've heard. I've heard 17 months. Your data and your statistics say it's just about less than three years on average, about three years, right? Yeah, just about that, about 31 months, 30, 30 and 33 months. I think our new survey data is showing a little bit of a uh, of an uptick there, but still, it's, it's still around that area. You know, compared to other other executives, CFOs and CEOs who are kind of in the you know three to five year, even seven year range, uh, the CISO is still far below that. For a tenure. So let's examine it. If it'll take a if it'll take a new CISO six to eight months just to do your assessment, looking at the existing systems, looking at the program, and then uh, you know modern modernization or customization of a full program will take another what two years. How does that help organizations build proper security programs when CISOs are? Does that yeah, make sense? It doesn't. Uh, no, it, it makes sense, but it doesn't help the companies, and that's really the, that's really the nature of the problem. Is that um, I think I think the numbers that we see from our data is it really it will take no no less than eighteen months to really put together the evidence of a of a unique program. And again, our, our, a lot of our clients are they're hiring their first CISO, uh, so they're starting from scratch um, in process and policy and uh, frameworks, and so. Uh, we have seen the evidence of of a security program, the team, the framework, whatnot, within those that first eighteen months, and then then the wins need to start happening very quickly. That said, um, there are some larger organizations that do, it will take two and a half to three years, and and this is where uh, the interviewing is so critical. When you're interviewing for a CISO role, to really understand and be able to hold the client accountable, which is what we try to do, to say, look, we're here to make sure we're de-risking the candidate and that the candidate is who they say they are. But the same requirement is uh, we're asking of you as well. If you're trying to extract a sitting CISO from a you know a well-established company that's done a wonderful job in, the, in building out their program, they've had a lot of lessons learned, and then they're, you're trying to extract them into your environment, the candidate and us, we really need to hear that you have a game plan it can't just be this is um, these are the five things we need to fix and we'll be better. But it's you know again, is the client looking around the corner? Are they budgeting? Are they giving the appropriate budget, the appropriate level, the appropriate uh, impact, uh, the voice of the CEO and the board? You know, what is the company actually doing to ensure that this individual will have a three to five year plan and be able to execute on that plan? Because it's very disruptive when the person is there for thirty months and then a new person comes in. Oftentimes, we're coming in on our searches where the client has brought in 
uh, sort of their starter package, uh, CISO, and that that individual has grown to a certain level. And now their the company's growth has exceeded the candidate's growth. And uh, that's a little frustrating as well, because there's a great mentorship opportunity there uh, where they could have made a, a wonderful save. Again, counterproductive to our own business, but the right thing to do would be maybe to look at the attributes of that individual that's in the seat today and say, could we mentor that individual to, to round off the edges of where they need to be? Or do we really just go do a disruptive six-month search here uh, or more. And so um, we see all these scenarios, uh, they, they do play out and it's a bit it's a bit frustrating sometimes. Why is there so much turnover in the CISO ranks? I love that question. It's um, it, For me, uh, what we see is that uh, there's just too many voices and too many, too many voices really understanding what the priorities are and how the priorities shift from one uh, from one business climate to another. And, and this this is really this starts at the interview. One of the reasons that we do this interviewing the interview process is because there are uh, a number of views, a number of uh, definitions, uh, a number of even nomenclatures that each company will have around the hiring of their their CISO. Even if it's a mature company that's hired one or two or even three CISOs, if you start interviewing multiple groups within you know the product group, the sales team, we always interview the sales team the engineering organization, the legal team, the, uh, the risk team, as many people as we can sit in front of, uh, we will ask, you know, what is their story around security? Uh, what is the company's uh, pitch, so to speak, around security? What is your nomenclature? Uh, and and you know, we'll, we'll interview 10 to 15 in executives in the organization, and we'll get nine different answers. And then we bring them all together and say, okay, it's okay if your priorities are not in the same order. That's perfectly natural. What they do need to be is they all need to be on the same page, though. <laughs> when you're interviewing these individuals, if you're talking about different nomenclature, uh, you're mixing AppSec with SecEng and InfoSec, and, and they're all meaning the same thing. Uh, or if you're saying, well, we really need a customer enablement person as our first priority, but we also need someone that can work with the uh, engineering and product teams to make sure that our SecEng environment is safe and architecturally sound. Those are two very com- very different competing pieces. And and by the way, the, the candidate doesn't necessarily uh, show super ho- super superhero powers in each of those. They, they would have had expertise in one or the other. And so right from the beginning, the effort of trying to, I guess, calibrate on what this position will be now uh, only gets further, I guess, intensified as time goes on. And it just creates an enormous amount of stress for the candidate. Now the person's in the role. Um, perhaps their budget is not to where they need to make sure that they get the necessary um, resources around them, whether it's contractors or full-time resources. Uh, hiring is also a challenge. You know, the, if all these things start coming together, you have a perfect storm of stress around an individual that's really trying to do good by the company. But there's just too many voices, uh, too many voices with too many priorities. So that's what we see is, is really the, the biggest factor. You mean just getting top-down support within the organization, just building out uh, relationships? Or, or are you talking about just too many cooks in the kitchen? Well, too many cooks in the kitchen that's uh, where the priorities are shifting. So um, it's obviously natural that sales is going to have a large voice. But um, if sales has the largest voice and they need a customer enabler as a CISO, they should also realize that maybe CISOs don't have the right skill set you know, right off the shelf to come in and, and wow them. And so uh, as that as that level, it may be sufficient for them to get into the job, but then as it becomes more intense and they need the CISO on the phone maybe one, once a month, but now every once a day, they're just not built for that um, or they haven't been able to build the support for that. So there is a little bit of too many cooks in the kitchen, but there's also just a lot of shifting priorities in the business itself. The CISO gets kind of caught in. And let's be real, Michael. 
a lot of this is just CISOs finding an, a better job. This high turnover is not only linked to stress or problems in the job. This guy's just moving on. It is. I'd, I'd say the biggest factor of um, of the turnover, the single single biggest factor, is is reporting structure. We see the yeah we see the reporting structure on and part of our survey. It's 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 a compensation survey, but we also take some. What's time the to, problem with the reporting structure? Which reporting structure you find is the biggest problem area? Yeah. And what is the ideal reporting structure for a CISO to have? Is say, how would you describe? There, therein lies the problem: is that there isn't, unfortunately, one answer. Uh, What we like to say uh, with our searches, whoever is the most passionate and who is the most impactful to to knock down obstacles on behalf of the CISO's organization is probably going to be the most effective line of uh, reporting. And that could be the CTO, it could be the head of engineering, it could be the CIO, it could be the head of product, uh, it could be the GC, um, which we've seen a, a pretty big increase. It could certainly be the CEO. And so it's just, it's all over the place, unfortunately. A lot of CISOs want to report directly to the CEO, right? Yeah, they do. I would say most of them we speak with say, you know, if they've been a CISO for one or two times, they 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 now say, I, I really need to report to the CEO. And the challenge with that is it really depends on the CEO. Um, we've had C- we had a search uh, last year, in fact, here in the Bay Area, where the position originally reported to the CEO, and uh, we got a kind of a dissertation about the company from the CEO. We also had one from the CFO, and we we realized that um, that the CEO, um, who was brilliant, um, was really very much focused on the product side and not so much on uh, on the overall growth of the opportunity uh, within the organization. And we had requested, you know, this this probably makes sense. Uh, strangely enough, for this report to the CFO, who after listening to the CFO for no more than 10 minutes, realized how passionate he was about this subject. He came from multiple SaaS companies and really was able to impact this person's growth, this organization's growth. It just was a better fit. It doesn't mean that it was a downgrade. It just means that we're looking for, if you look at the the 31 months of, of them being there, uh, I'd say that that's probably going to be on the lower side if this individual were reported to the CEO and on the higher side if they were reported to the CFO. And that's kind of where we are today. The tension between IT and the, the CIO and the CISO is still there and still real. It is. Um, we we are seeing uh, a decrease, however, in reporting structures at the mid uh, mid size and smaller companies of CISOs reporting into the CIO's organization. It is holding steady, according to our data, at the enterprise level. But there's still a tension there, just of the way that the, the CISO's scope has expanded so much. That it really, uh, especially in the areas of risk, um, that it really kind of impedes on what the C- CIO um, has been doing and has been building. I'd say in most organizations, it tends to figure out uh, that there's healthy tension. And in some organizations that we speak with, it's just uh, it's just not working. Uh, but most of them, it's a more of a healthy tension. They figured out a, a way to uh, kind of compartmentalize the challenges and work through it. In the beginning, we talked about a skills shortage, and you do agree that there's a cybersecurity skills shortage across the board. There's a school of thought that says we just we're just not good at recruiting and hiring. We're just not good at writing job descriptions. We're not good at being inclusive. We're not good at diversifying our search in other areas. And the Ellis I just had on my podcast where he found it found really good, valuable people on his security team by sourcing from journalists, uh, nurses, librarians, for instance, folks that lend themselves to documentation. Do you do you subscribe to a little bit of that, that could upend and, and fix a lot of things in, the, in our pipeline 
through just fixing, recruiting, fixing a lot of things on the HR side? Absolutely. Actually, it starts with our own model here at Hitch Partners outside of my partner, uh, Brett and I. Uh, we're the only ones with recruiting experience on the team. Uh, we specifically went after uh, those who had their own small businesses. Uh, we have a uh, ER nurse on our team. Um, you know, th those that have been in critical situations, they know how to communicate um, both in writing and in voice, how to write the best job descriptions that tell a story because that's really what we're doing is we're storytelling. Uh, we want to make sure it's a compelling and uh, focused story. And so uh, we, we do that as well. And I, I think we, we need to take more of that into this world. It, 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 just the job description point alone, that, you know, a job description is writing a very good job description is very easy. And, and uh, I'm appalled by the uh, lack of effort sometimes that uh, clients, when I read their job descriptions, uh, you know, whether we're working with them or not yet, but we just would take a look at their job description and it is really a bunch of borrowed bullet points with not much narrative and not much storytelling. Um, they, they brought the, the bullet points over from another job description they saw and it's just kind of cobbled very together. Easy. Very, it is, very it is. And I, I just don't understand it because that is one thing that we all have had our skills going through college education and high school education that we should have no problem writing. Now, of course, some are just better than others, but, um, but yeah, right. the, but the if, you're in the, if you're in the, if you're in the trenches of job writing, job descriptions for a living, I mean, how, I mean, that's the problem, right? The problem is that the folks entrusted with writing job descriptions are not entrusted with the value of finding the right people for the security programs. They're, they're incentivized in other ways. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, we, and this is something that we, and by the way, um, this entire situation, the interviewing is the other one. The lack of interviewing skills. I mean, if you think about where we are today, we're in an unprecedented situation, but there, there are companies that are very healthy, uh, that are continuing to hire critical roles. I would say most of them are. And, uh, this is a great time to build new relationships. It's, uh, the tech is there. It's low risk. Keep in touch with, with individuals and build out your candidate pipeline. You're, you, you know, you have to, Think about how you're going to interview better. You have to realize that you're probably going to hire someone that you haven't met. And by the way, they haven't met you either. Um, and so, um, you know, some companies have been amazingly resilient around this area. Others have been sort of disappointing and sort of short-sighted. This is a really interesting time. I think, I think this, I think that our ability to build deeper relationships and connect with people and be better interviewing, uh, better, better interviewers will, will actually be a positive thing coming out of uh, this, this chaos. And I think, I think we need to start thinking about that, taking a little bit more of a breath and saying, okay, let's not rush to get an interview done, see that this person can take home a panel or take home questions, and also spending more time on job descriptions and being really thoughtful about what you're trying to say. I do hope that what comes out of this is that we will sort of take a quick breath here and say, okay, are we doing this all wrong? Um, and let's not let's not go back to these bad habits. That That is my hope. It's March 24th, uh, midday on March 24th. The Olympics was canceled this morning. We are heading in uncharted territory, just economy, everything, everything. Thing. Help the folks understand what they should be prepared for on the job front. Folks who are looking for jobs, is this a time to take a step back and pause? To folks who are out there interviewing and in between jobs and, you know, we're in the process of interviewing, what can they expect moving forward? What are you advising your clients who are searching for in this economic uncertainty? Are you, are you advising folks to put a pause on things? Help folks understand what, in your mind, the next one month, two months, and three months will look like. Yeah, tough question. And uh, I know, it's an impossible question, but it's like, <laughs> it's a top of mind question for a lot of folks. 
Yes. Well, on the client side, and and this might sound self-serving, but I do mean it genuinely. uh, I think it's a mistake for companies um, to sort of put a pause on their critical recruiting. Uh, Obviously, if there is a cash concern, uh, the company's health is in question, uh, you need to do the responsible thing and not uh, and maybe hold off on some of these. But if outside of those, if the company is uh, has been performing up until you know, the last few months um, and and really is healthy, this is an excellent time to recruit uh, in, in, our sp- in our particular space, in the security executive and security leadership space. And the reason why is um, it is a lot better to recruit uh, right now when there are companies that are going to hold off. It's a little less competitive, if that even sounds plausible. Um, but the competition that we work with, um, I mean, every every CISO search, it's sort of like the housing market in Northern California on a good day, is that uh, you're, you're in multiple bid situations, overpaying, and, and those aren't positive things. Uh, you know, overpaying for a candidate or underpaying for a candidate is never never the right thing to do. And, and now you've got a little bit of uh, competition that's been taken away by companies that may not have been uh, as healthy. And they're, and just being able to go and hire and, and make these hiring decisions, or at least getting your slates of candidates and getting used to what the market looks like across section of the market, I think it's an excellent time to go and at least begin your recruiting process. If you're not able to finish it, if this goes on a year, uh, we might be in a different situation. But, uh, you know, all these companies are sort of beating each other up for the same resources. And this is a kind of an interesting time where there is some amazing talent that is looking and is considering new roles and, and just isn't being called as many times by these other clients. So we're asking and recommending to our clients, you know, maybe, maybe you slow it down a little bit and take a breather, um, but you don't pause it. Because uh, that really, if you think about what that means, let's say we come back at the end of summer. If we come back to the end of summer and they start the search again, it's only going to get three to five more times more competitive at this level to try to find that individual. Um, now you're dealing with things time of year. They might actually be losing their, their bonuses. They're already they're already uh, limited on the number of candidates anyway. So now is the time to build these relationships to get these candidates on your narrative. So that's what I'd say about the client side. On the candidate side, uh, I think it's a great time to, to do research, uh, understand uh, what your uh, what your narrative sounds like? What is your personal brand? Um, I'm very big on CISO personal brand. You know, are they writing the right things? Are they are they posting you know information that others can can learn from? Uh, is their resume set? Is their LinkedIn set? Are they you know what what is what is their brand out there? What is their specialty and how are they saying that? I think a lot we we help a lot of candidates uh, with that a couple times a month uh, at least just sort of running through that with them anyway. And I think this is just a really good time to take a take a breather and uh, work with a, an executive recruiter or an executive coach um, to help them uh, with what they're trying to display as their as their narrative, as their brand. If you're in between jobs and interviewing and you notice things have been paused or going slow, no time yet to panic though, right? I mean, you expect these searches and security to continue to be uh, largely retrenchment proof or one of the industries that will be able to absorb a big economic hit? I do. I, I, I think it's only going to get more intense. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, hackers um, don't really care about the coronavirus. Uh, if, if anything, they're getting more intense knowing that uh, we might be, you know, companies might be a little bit more susceptible. Um, and we're seeing, uh, we're seeing, we're actually 
extremely busy, <laughs> extremely busy. We're humbled by that because we know that uh, there is a lot of there are a lot of clients out there that are coming to us and other firms like us and saying, you know, we sort of dragged a little bit on this particular hire. Now we realize how critical it is because um, you know we're just not able to, you know, if our developers are are sitting at home and they're working at workstations, how are they gonna uh, how are they gonna supply and solidify their systems, things of that nature? Just you know, blocking and tackling. But also, I just think that uh, I think I think this security. Um, focus specifically security and engineering and security and product will continue to flourish um, even in these tough times and it will continue to be very uh, limited number uh, talented so if you can if you can hone in on your skills in that area I I think you'll be very safe uh, if not uh, you know in in a great position Thank you for the optimism, my friend. Michael Piacente, principal at Hitch Partners. Hitchpartners.com is where you could find Michael. Where else can the folks find you? What is next for you guys? Uh, Yeah, I think right now we're uh, focused in in both the cyber and the physical side. So the the CSO, Chief Security Officer, handling the physical side. We have a couple of uh, marquee searches in that area. And that's an area we think will absolutely explode. Um, Is there a crossover between cyber guys that can make that and make it a hybrid role? Do you see that as a hybrid role? That's another conversation for another time, but that's a hybrid (laughs) role, you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, We're seeing hybrid roles with uh, CISOs, IT, uh, risk um, and physical security all being uh, put into uh, one category or one one position. But, Are you uh, encouraging the CISOs and the cyber guys to keep that on their radar, the physical thing on their radar? I am. I think that those. I don't think that they'll fully merge together, but I think there'll be situations where companies will have one singular leader, very much kind of what we 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 hoped that we would all see with the chief digital officer. Hasn't quite gotten to that point with many companies, but I think you'll see a uh, chief security officer that will have both physical uh, cyber and perhaps IT and other areas, uh, which could be a positive thing. So we are encouraging them to all uh, learn each other's trade um, and making sure that they, they kind of hone in on those skills as well. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. It's a pleasure.